Let's take our Bibles and open them this morning to Romans chapter 5. at, uh, for several weeks, we're looking at the abundance of God and how he gives it and when he gives it and in what form he gives it in. And we've looked at uh, who he gives it to. He gives it to those who, who belong to him. We've looked at his abundance uh, in our time of grief. And today we're going to look at the abundance of grace. If the music didn't kind of already give you that hint that that's, that's where we were, the direction we were moving in. Uh, Romans chapter 5, and I'll read 12 through 17. If you're able, would you stand with me as we read the Word of God? Our Heavenly Father, open our eyes to your Word today, that we might understand this abundance of grace that you give to us. Lord, that we might live in it and walk in it. Speak to our hearts today, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Romans chapter 5, and I'll read 12 through 17. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. This is, um, this is one of the most complex of Paul's writings. So if you kind of scratch your head at different places there and go, what, what, what does he mean by that? Um, we could spend uh, quite a bit of time working out all the particulars and the intricacies there. And uh, that would be much better set for a, a smaller group setting where we can discuss and chew on it and interact back and forth. Um, our focus today will be on two individuals, one who brought us sin, one who provides grace, Adam and Jesus Christ. Now, one of the most recorded songs of all time, uh, as you're going to guess from our theme, is Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. It was written in 1779 by a former slave trader, uh, John Newton. If you've never read his story, it is, uh, uh, it is fantastic on what the Lord had done or did in his life and how it played out ultimately uh, in, in his involvement in ministry, his writing this, this hymn. And it is a hymn uh, with the theme of uh, grace, and we mo- probably know most of the verses uh, off by heart if we started to sing them. But like all, I think, familiar things, grace 
if we don't pay attention to it, if we don't understand it fully, and if we don't dig into it, it, becomes, it can become commonplace to us. It can become almost, uh, as J.I. Packer said, it can almost become boring grace because it becomes an expectation. I mean, isn't that what God does? He gives grace. Isn't that his job? I mean, there he is up in heaven, and what's, God's got one job, and that is to what? Pour his grace upon us. Whether we deserve it or not, whether we're his or not, well, we, obviously we don't deserve it. That's what makes it grace, okay? But we think often it is God's job to show grace. And so if it's his job, then really there's nothing amazing about it, nothing surprising about it. See, that's the danger that we can fall into if we are not paying attention to it. And part of that reason is so often we forget the necessity of grace, that there is an absolute necessity for our salvation that we receive or be the recipients of God's saving grace through the work of Jesus Christ. And, and when we forget the necessity, it's because we forget how sinful sin is and how, how bad we are before the Lord, before he washes us in the blood of Christ. And, and it's a sad thing to say. It's not in our hymnals, but in some of the modern hymnals, this great word wretch is being purged from amazing grace. Okay, uh, You don't see, uh, and there's also victory in Jesus has the word wretch in it too. And some of the modern hymn, hymnals uh, say, lop out that phrase. Instead of saving a wretch like me, they go and saving one just like me. Uh, that's weak. Okay, I hate when they change the words to hymns. Okay, because there's such meaning in those words and such power. Yeah, we don't use the word wretch very often, um, but it's a good word. It really is a good word. It describes us. I mean, the problem is, and we get we get rid of our wretchedness, then we forget our need for graciousness. And until we come face to face with our own wretchedness and our own sin, we can never begin to comprehend this great grace that our Lord literally lavishes upon those who are his. We forget the holiness of God. We forget his graciousness. And it's his duty to save us. So there's a direct relationship, I think, between understanding our sinfulness and understanding our need for grace. So this brings us right to this passage here uh, in Romans chapter 5. And as I said, it is a complex passage. And if you look at it, let's start up on uh, verse 12. Um, uh, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And then if you're in a a pew Bible, or maybe your own uh, Bible, there's a hyphen there. Okay, And the translators put that in to show us that Paul is going to kind of go, he's going to take a little excursus from his train of thought and go handle something else. So it's in the middle of a thought here that Paul jumps over to verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed where there was no law. So he's giving us first this, this uh, discussion on sin entering in the world. And then he says, oh yeah, by the way, and he goes over here and talks about it. Then he comes back and finishes his thought. Um, and if you, if you read some of Paul's longer sentences okay, in, in Scripture, there, there are sentences which are like 200 words long. 
uh, again. And, and he just goes on and on. But you think, you know, how long are the sentences we read in a news article today? Oh, they're short. You know, 15 words is long. You know, I, I forget if you can, you can trace the, 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 de, um, the decomposition. That's not quite the word. The, how, how short sentences have gotten over history. If you go back two or three hundred years, they were long. They weren't as long as Paul's, but they were long. They had all these, um, what, I can't even remember what they're called now. Mm-hmm. Sub points and clauses and everything in the right punctuation. The right punctuation. And now we just make a little sentence like this and go on to the next thought. Or bullet points are even better, right? Bullet points. I have a friend who's a, a professor at Vanderbilt, and, and he has a class for freshmen. And it's freshman entrepreneur in business, so every every business major has to take it. And every year he, he assigns the first paper, and, and these bright young kids at Vanderbilt, they write, you know, he says, I'm only going to read five pages. They give him 12 pages, this long narrative, and he, he'll, he'll stand up in class and he'll hold up one. And he said, you see this paper? I stopped at five. Okay, I didn't read the rest of it. He said, this is business. I want bullet points. And, and the kids are like crushed because they, what, what about all that great narrative? Because I want bullet points. I want the facts, okay? Facts. Let's look at the facts of this page, of this great passage. So Paul begins, therefore, just as, just as, in verse 12. Just as, and then I said he breaks off in mid-sentence, and he reminds us uh, about what came into the world. Now, Paul seems to be arguing that, that there is universal death. Everybody dies because of Adam's sin. He, he makes that clear. Uh, because remember, we're going to talk about two people. One is Adam, one is Jesus Christ. Through Adam came death, through Christ comes grace. Now, there are only two people in, uh, in recorded history from, from Scripture that didn't die. That's Enoch and Elijah. Um, uh, and so everybody else is going to die. And that, because of Adam's sin, it is given to them. It is in our nature. It is simply part of us. If you trace back your, your lineage, it all goes back to Adam. Now, as an aside, uh, Paul doesn't question the historicity or the validity of Adam in the first chapters of Genesis. He makes the assumption that you are going to believe that that is true, as Paul does. Because just think of how many other things in Scripture stand upon the first few chapters of Genesis. If you can get rid of some of those things in the early chapters of Genesis, you know, we look a lot better, don't we? If you can get rid of sin, man, then you also can get rid of Christ, okay? If you get rid of sin, you get rid of Christ, so they died because Adam's sin was given to them. Everybody, everybody in history, we will die too. What is it? Uh, the death rate is, is uh, one, one for one. Okay, that's just the way that it goes. Okay, you're going to die. Uh, the proof of sinning in Adam is that everyone after him has died. So why does Paul add this point? Well, because there is a type of Adam to come. And a type is often a, an Old Testament individual or an Old Testament practice that points to the things of Christ. Um, Adam is a type of Christ in the sense that one thing comes through him. 
One thing comes through Christ, and that is the opposite of what came through Adam. If we look at uh, Joseph, Joseph is a type of Christ. Sold into slavery by his brothers, he comes back and redeems them out. He points to the things of Christ. David is a type of Christ. Um, Oil in the Old Testament would be a type of, for what in the New Testament? The Holy Spirit. Okay, the Holy Spirit. So we see these images in the Old Testament that are pointing us to their fulfillment in the New Testament, in the New. So he says, when, when Adam sinned, they sinned. In a like manner, Christ's descendants, in the same fashion as everybody is tainted by Adam's sin, those who are in Christ are gifted by his grace and are saved from Adam's sin. So they're identified with Christ. They're counted righteousness, not on their own righteousness, but on the righteousness of Christ, which is imputed to us. It's not poured into us. It's not infused into us. It is imputed. We have none of our own. All we have is sin. Along comes Christ, who has no sin, but has the righteousness. His righteousness is imputed to us. John Piper has a great explanation of all this, and I'm just going to read some of his explanation for you. That is all the important parallel. The deepest reason why death reigns over all is not because of our individual sins, but because of Adam's sin that is imputed to us. So the deepest reason eternal life reigns is not because of our individual deeds of righteousness, but because of Christ's righteousness imputed to us by grace through faith. Oh, how much light this sheds on why Paul writes this paragraph. He did it for the sake of faith and our assurance and our joy. He did it to underline the fact that our right standing with God and our freedom from condemnation is not based on our righteous acts, but on Christ's righteous acts. And outside of Christ, death still reigns. Spiritual death, eternal death. So we try to put this in our minds. We're all going to die someday. Now, plastic surgery may make us look good when we're older. Okay? Medicine may extend our life to some degree, but we will all die. I can remember when we, we lived and worked in a funeral home, and it was one of the great messages uh, by a pastor. And there's the uh, deceased. He's in the, in the casket. We're having the service in the funeral home. And it's an open casket. And it's an African-American guy. And he's just, he's just preaching up a storm. And then he stops. And he says, I want you to look at this body. He says, this is a good-looking body, isn't it? He worked out. He took care of himself. And he goes on and on for five minutes extolling how good this guy looks. But he says, look again. He's what? He's dead. Okay? And, and, and you just... You could see everybody, that was a, a great moment. The light went on and said, we are all going to die. You might look good while you're alive, but death will get us sooner or later. Death is God's penalty for Adam's sin. It's imposed on all who come from Adam. So this passage, on the other hand, underscores the glory of Christ and underscores the grace that is given to us through Jesus Christ that is super abundant. Okay? Sin reigns this much, grace reigns this much. Okay? It is, it is, we think how terrible sin is, and I, I want to get you that, I want to make sure we understand. Sin is bad, it keeps us from the Lord, it alienates us. Grace is greater than all my sin. 
It is greater than all my sin. And it's laid out for us in three ways here, three distinctions between Adam and Christ in this passage. Let's start in verse 15. He says, But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift of grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. So God's justice is in the condemnation of every sinner. God's grace is evidence in the redemption of those who by faith belong to Christ. So universal judgment is warranted. That's what Paul is saying. It is, there's no, sh- no surprise here that the penalty of sin is eternal death. And for all those who are tainted by Adam's sin, it's just, it's just a fact here. Paul's not surprised by it. He's not surprised by the condemnation of all those who are outside of Christ who will be in hell. This is, this is the fact. But salvation, even the salvation of one individual is the surprising thing. Because none of us deserve it. But that's what makes grace so fantastic. It's because we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We can't do anything to get into God's good graces. It is bestowed upon us. Salvation, the salvation of one single solitary person is the surprise. Why would a God who is holy, why would a God who is just, who is righteous, in in, in whom's presence sin cannot stand, why would he extend to the likes of us? his grace, and draw us unto himself. Not only does he let it hang out there and say, this is my grace, but he comes down and he grabs upon your heart and says, you are mine, and he draws you unto himself and embraces you in his arms and bestows upon you, lavishes upon you, grace upon grace. It is unwarranted, it's unthinkable, but that's what he does. People go to hell. People go to heaven. This is not surprising that they go to hell. It's shocking that we would go to heaven. Now, we might think, because we've forgotten that word wretch, that I don't deserve it. That, no, I, I, I'm a good guy. And we, we tried to list in, in Sunday school the things that might get us to, to heaven, you know, doing how many good deeds and how many, you know, how, what, what level do I have to reach to be in God's good graces? You have to be the recipient of His grace. And then your life reflects what he has done in our lives. It is a pardon from sin. Now, right here, as, as we transition power in our, in our government, uh, usually right at the end of the terms, presidents like to pardon people. All right? And uh, our, our former president pardoned over 1,300 individuals, which was more than, than any before. And they go everywhere from, you know, small-time drug dealers to traitors. I mean, he, he pardoned this, uh, what's his face? Manning. Okay? He gave away 700,000 documents that put people's lives in danger. I mean, to receive a pardon for that, just think about that. But that pales in comparison to the pardon that our Heavenly Father grants to those who are in Christ. Think, think of the most wretched thing that people could do in this world and then be pardoned for it. Here's sin abounding, grace Super abounds. That's what is given to us, we who are in Christ. All those pardons are nothing compared to the pardon that we receive in Jesus Christ. So if you're ever going to complain about something being unfair, complain that it's unfair that we receive grace. I know that's kind of the back 
backwards way of looking at it. It's unfair that these bad things happen to me. No, it's not. It's unfair that this good thing has happened to me. That God has reached down, grabbed me, called me by name, and drawn me unto himself. Let's look at the second distinction between the two. Verse 16. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. Again, this is one of Paul's tough things. Uh, Just kind of a complex thought and sentence here as he does this. One man, sin came. That's Adam. And, And... Death for all. On the other hand, in, the, in grace, many sins were covered by one man. So you had one man, one sin, whew, affects everybody. Here you have one man who covers many sins. Okay? So Paul's contrasting the effects of Adam and Christ. Many died because of Adam. Many received the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at the word many and all, and you might think that, gee, is, is Paul preaching universalism here? Is that what he's saying? Because if, grace, if, if sin affects many and grace affects many, or if sin affects all and grace affects all, how do we understand that? Paul is not, from various places throughout the, the New Testament, not dealing with universalism here. But those who receive the Christ, or those who receive grace from the passage we read earlier, They are given the gift of faith, not anything that we could boast on our own. It is a gift. It comes to us. It comes to us by our Heavenly Father. So uh, sin touches the entire human race. Grace, saving grace, touches those who are in Christ. There is a distinction there. Uh, We don't refer to the whole human race receiving saving grace. Only those who are in Christ. There's one one way to heaven. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one else gets to the Father except through me. There's no other exceptions there. Now, we're pretty familiar with how one sin can disrupt a relationship. And Paul says it's not surprising that one sin disrupts a relationship. There's nothing surprising about judgment. There's nothing surprising about what flows from the things of Adam. But as we said before, think of the millions and millions of of sins that have gone on individually. And, and that's just not in this congregation. That's, that's, that's everybody throughout the world, throughout time, are covered by the death of one. And that doesn't seem fair. But think upon the cross. Think upon the weight of sin being borne upon his person. The weight of my sin. The weight of yours. The weight of millions. And think of all the individual sins we have carried out in our lives. Think of the nature that, that we get from Adam, the sinfulness of our nature that can't be in the presence of the Lord. And Christ takes it upon himself and he did it willingly because of his great love for us. That's what Christ has done. Now think back before we were all were born, all the way back to Adam. And everybody is tainted by Adam's sin. And and remember, after Adam sinned, he lived uh, quite a long time after that. And and there you are, and you're walking around, and you see Adam. And you go, Adam, this is all your fault. Okay? 
If it wasn't for you and your stupid desire to do what you want to do, we wouldn't be in this mess. How'd you like to, if you're Adam, to live with that all your life? There's the guy who sinned. Okay. Well, that's what happened. Yeah, he got us into this mess. But there's this great contrast. After hundreds of generations, along comes Jesus Christ and reverses the effects of the fall by his grace. Don't be surprised about sin in a fallen world. Be surprised about grace. Be surprised about grace. Let's look at the last one, number 3, 17, verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Now, death can reign or grace can reign. And that means in this life right now. Okay, when we talk about Adam's sin and his nature being passed on and eternity and things like that, uh, we can get kind of, uh, well, I don't know, it, it seems philosophical out there and theologically we know those things to be true. But here it says grace reigns right now in this life in the believer. Okay? Sin remains in our life, but grace reigns in our life. That's just the way it is. Paul doesn't say the sin of Adam resulted in death overall and the righteousness of Christ related in life overall. They're talking about the sin affecting many and grace affecting those who are in Jesus Christ. Those who receive him by faith alone are, are offered as it is offered in the gospel. In the gospel of Jesus Christ. The point Paul's making in the passage is really to show us where, whereas sin and judgment and death are inevitable, grace is the most surprising thing that we find in this world because of the amount and the extent that it is given to us. Because the one who we offended with our sin makes the way that that offense can be satisfied, that that offense can be atoned for. We learned in Sunday school that God is both just in his condemnation of sin and punishment of sin, but he's also the justifier, the one who makes a way for us to be removed from that punishment. Think of the woman at the well, okay? In the New Testament passage, the parable. Here she is at noon in the Middle East getting water at the well. Nobody gets water at the well in the Middle East at noon because it's blazing out there. But she's an outcast from society. She's had several husbands, and the one that she lives with now is not her husband. And Jesus comes up to her and breaks these social and societal norms, and he speaks to her, an unaccompanied woman, and he, this teacher. And, and they had this great conversation. And, and what happens? She is changed forevermore. Here is this, what society would have cast out as a terrible sinner. She receives the grace. Her water pot stays there at the well. And she goes into town and says, let me tell you about a man who knew everything about me, who has changed my life. See, that's the reign of grace in our lives. It empowers us to do the things that Christ calls us to do, to share those things of grace and our mercy. Now, maybe you forget about grace. Maybe we just take it for granted. But it is the most surprising thing of all of Scripture that God 
would give it to us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it is amazing, this grace that you have for us. Why you would bestow it upon us, that answer could only be found in your mercy and your grace. But you do not bestow it without expectation. Saving grace is given to us so that we might live these things out. You have things prepared before the foundations of the earth for us to do. And we do them to your glory. You grant us grace. You grant us wisdom. That we might live these things out to your praise and to your glory. Heavenly Father, where in our lives have we taken grace for granted? Has it become blasé maybe? Where are you calling us to live it out now? Show us these things today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.